This is the Blackout Podcast. Hey, Chris. Thanks for coming to the podcast today. Hey, Israel. Great. Great to be here. So a brief background. Chris, we met um, through your meetup, Halifax Creatives. Yeah. Um, thanks for setting that up. I know you do some coding. I know you're interested in like how humans work. I also yep. know you actually worked on the oil field. So you're, to me, a renaissance. <laughs> and the hair actually, actually. I guess it's a renaissance haircut too, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like, it's like a Leonardo da Vinci thing. <laughs> <laughs> now if you say, oh, I also paint. Do you paint? Well, uh, funny you mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually, I, I've recently, uh, I saw this interesting podcast about how color affects us psychologically. And that kind of, I'd never really been that into painting, but that kind of got me interested in making visual artwork okay. with color for the first time. Ah. And uh, so, yeah, I have kind of recently started to uh, to do that in the evenings. Well, I've got a picture of one in my phone here. Yeah. If you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to see it, I don't know if it'll show up in the podcast yeah, very well. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely, uh, I can definitely send some of those over. Oh, there we go. Yeah, there's. Uh, that was like a. Oh, wow. So it's like a dragon. Oh, it's like, what is, uh, okay, so it's like a dragon with a sword of some kind, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, in a lot of fantasy stories, there's this idea of like a regular person finding a magic sword and the sword kind of forcing him to fight dragons, mm. even if he's like kind of friendly with the dragons <laughs> himself. <laughs> the sword's like, nope, dragon. <laughs> I know, talking uh, about the dragon, there's like, it's old, but it's called, I don't know if it's called Dragon Heart. Have you seen it? Dragon, uh, yeah, the uh, the Mel Gibson movie, right? No, 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 that's Braveheart. The Mel Gibson one where it's a Scottish guy. That's oh, yeah. Hot. So oh, that's Dragon right. Heart oh, okay. was this movie about this guy that actually it was a scam, right? So him and the dragon are friends. Um, yeah, he'd have the yeah, dragon yeah. fly into the town and terrorize everybody. And then he'd be like the hero. Yeah, he'd come yeah. and like, oh, <laughs> shoot the dragon with the arrow. The dragon will just put the arrow in his wing. I'm like, um, oh, falls down. <laughs> and then the town will give him money. Yeah, but I mean, then I think over the course he founds out that... Um, he actually had to kill the dragon, you know? Yeah, because the dragon had, like, it had given part of its heart to, to the king. Yeah, so yeah, he had to, yeah, 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 exactly. That's a film. Yeah, yeah so you're right. Yeah. Like, he had to kill the dragon, even even though they, that was kind of messed up. Because yeah, I remember yeah. watching that movie as a kid, and it messed me up a bit. <laughs> There's a, I actually, before I saw that movie, there was a book I read by Carl Sagan mm. about dragons and how uh, dragons were like this symbol for the uh, the reptilian cortex. Yeah. And like when you have people following a strong leader mm. in that kind of authoritarian way, that that's actually, that leader's tapping into the reptilian cortex of all those people and using those that fear and ritual motivation that's in the reptilian cortex you know <laughs> i didn't want to go into politics but talking about that right? <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it's you're pretty much defining what trump is doing right now because yeah he's yeah, I would stoking say so. fear 
to make people fall in line. I actually just read this morning that there's a GoFundMe for the wall. Yeah, yeah, I I heard that people are raising millions of dollars to Holy to smokes. build their own wall. So so, so the, the GoFundMe was for a billion dollars, but they raised twenty million. How does <laughs> like I can't wrap my mind around and it and it's you know it's actually scary that the like people can raise twenty million. So now and I I think we GoFundMe. Depending on how they set it up, I really don't know much mm. details. Even if you don't get to to your targets, you can like <clears throat> get you the can, money back. Yeah, I don't know how it works with uh, with GoFundMe. I know Kickstarter; you'd have to raise the billion. No, dollars, with GoFundMe, whether you but... make the money or not, you get it. Oh, it wow. depends on how it's set up, though. <laughs> so, so those guys That's made a, a billion dollars saying, "Oh, yeah, we have to kill." Like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So it, it's kind of odd that you bring that up, and it's it's he's it's literally what he's doing. Well, it's a it's a perennial thing. Like there's uh, there's a podcast I really like called Rune Soup, where the guy talks about like ritual magic and how that relates to politics in a lot of ways. Mm. And like that's a perennial thing that the uh, the the leader will tap into the fear of the populace because mm. if you're not afraid, why do you need a leader at all? Yeah. Like you're, uh, you're a leader is going to tell you what to do. He's going to restrict your freedoms. Yeah. Like if you're at the point where you want a strong leader at all, mm. there's some fear already there. Yeah. Uh, how rational the fear is kind of depends, <laughs> but uh, like definitely it's in, it's in a leader's interest to have, uh, I mean, depending on what the leader wants to accomplish, exactly. obviously, that's uh that can differ a lot but usually what makes uh, a large group of people give power to an individual is uh, some sort of fear motivation i mm. think it's like and he started <laughs> with the rapists are coming they're coming to kill you they are mm. right by a door it's a oh anyway i i, I, I try <laughs> to you know i try to not touch it but for some mm. reason he always comes up so i'm just gonna back away uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself uh yeah yeah well um it's always such an open ended question you I know? know I like that I like that because different people say different thing about themselves when you ask that question <laughs> yeah it's funny I uh, I mean I I kind of have a canned answer that I use for uh, for job interviews because job interview wise there's usually something you want to accomplish mm. in answering in answering any question mm. it's to to seem suitable for a particular thing so like i usually actually bring it back to having worked in alberta mm. because that's kind of uh after high school i didn't know what i wanted to do with my life so mm. i decided well try things that uh you know figure out what i like by process of elimination and one thing a lot of people from my high school were doing were working in alberta in the oil field in those days. And uh, in the process of doing that, I got really interested in renewable energy. Mm. So that kind of was what got me to then go, okay, well, I was good at math and science in high school. Renewable energy is a huge challenge. Mm. Um, It could use a lot of uh, talents working in it. So why don't I try and study that? So that's what got me then to go back to do an engineering degree. And then, yeah, yeah, that's... uh, that's where that part of my life was there. I'd also, like, I'd had a childhood ambition of being an inventor. Mm. That was kind of, uh, that's what I imagined. But isn't that what your card says? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I keep messing up your last name. <laughs> <laughs> Henningsen, yeah. Yeah, it it's, says Chris Henningsen inventor. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, who is yeah. this guy? I remember getting your card, like, I've never seen that before. Well, it's, uh, I mean, I, I finally got a patent at, uh, at... Dude, that's cool. <laughs> what, what's it for? 
It's for a heat recovery ventilator that never freezes. What? So a heat recovery ventilator, basically it brings in cold air yeah, yeah. and expels warm air and it exchanges the heat between the fresh air and the stale air. Yeah. So uh, the, thing, the thing with that is a normal heat recovery ventilator, as you're taking the heat out of the outgoing air, all the moisture in the air is going to solidify. Mm. And uh, if you're running this thing in Nunavut, for example... There's going to be so much more moisture inside than outside that you're going to be spending most of your energy just thawing the ice that builds up on your heat exchanger. Mm. So what we were doing was trying to figure out a way, how can we reduce the effectiveness of the heat exchange so that uh, rather than solidifying, the moisture just condenses and then you can drain the water away. So yeah, so that was uh, that was a new kind of design, and we actually, you know, followed my childhood ambition, followed it through the entire uh, patenting process. So I've got one invention now. I'm hoping more for go, lots more. More to go, more to go, more to go. So um, let's cycle back to Halifax Creatives because mm-hmm. I remember um, moving in here, and then I made one film that did pretty decent. Nice. And I, but but. I was kind of outside looking in and I was mm-hmm. going on meetup and checking out groups and most of the groups on meetups is for hiking. I'm, I'm lazy. <laughs> 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 but I saw that one. I immediately joined and what was the reason behind you creating that? Well, it's a funny story, actually. What happened was I was at the annual general meeting for Engineers Nova Scotia and one of the talks there was about this uh, sandbox that Dalhousie had set up for its students mm. and they were bringing together a business, a design and an engineering student to work on a new product. And they had a space there and they had you know Arduinos and computers and just stuff that they could work on to make something in an interdisciplinary group. Mm. And all the professionals were going, well, why don't we have something like that? We're, <laughs> we're creative. We like working on things outside of our uh, yeah. field of expertise. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we do something like that? So the, uh, there were several of us that decided to kind of try and set something like that up. And uh, we were pretty ambitious at the time and uh, had different visions Mm. but my vision fortunately was the least ambitious one i just wanted to have a uh, a networking group where people could come and talk about their projects and uh because you know it's inspiring to hear about other people's projects it uh it really it gets it gets your own juices flowing some of those projects go fucking weird though (laughs) (laughs) some of my projects are pretty weird Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the uh, like you were saying before the show that the uh, the quantified horoscope, like that's a weird project. No, it, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> Actually, explain a bit about that one. Now. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I'd been taking courses about uh, data science, mm. and I heard this quote that millionaires don't use horoscopes, but billionaires do. <laughs> which, like, I don't fully get what that means. <laughs> But uh, I did get to thinking, like, we have 50 years of stock market data. If there is, um, if astrological cycles have an effect on the stock market, it'll be pretty easy to find. And it is pretty easy to find. You can just load them all into an Excel file, make a few pivot tables, and, like, there's the effect. Mm -hmm. So my idea with the quantified horoscope was, like, well, first, of course, I wanted to use it to to uh, to invest, but 
the funny thing is, like, if you follow, if you follow a horoscope investment style, it's just buy and hold. <laughs> 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 Which, like, I, I was so kind of like excited at the start to think like, oh, okay, so I'm going to I'm going to anal- analyze this a whole new way. It'll be uh, an input that no one else is using. I'm going to have an edge over people. And then it's like what they tell you on day one of investment 101, buy and hold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like in a way, it was, uh, was kind of like, oh, I'm on the right track. And <laughs> I, I'm getting the result everyone who's successful <laughs> already tells you. Yeah. I'm just validating it yeah. or I'm, I'm getting there another way. Yeah. But on the other hand, it was like, well, I'm not going to be doing anything different than what I'm already doing. Mm. But then I thought, well, hang on, people like horoscopes. Yeah. And like, this is kind of the first quantified hor- Like, People don't usually use statistics for making horoscopes. Mm. So with the quantified horoscope, that was like, well, I have these pivot tables now. I know, I think we're in the year of the dog right now, for example. Okay. I know kind of what sort of effect that's had over the last 50 years. I can just make little horoscope type uh, predictions for that. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so that was kind of the first app I made. Yeah, by the way, it's in the app store. Yeah, I yeah. Know I use that. I, I mean, I'm like, horoscopes to me, I, I remember reading them thinking, but it's kind of cool. If you, it's a great way to meet people, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because it's, it's instead of saying, oh, check out this app where... You know, it tells you today is your day of whatever. Mm-hmm. This one is based on data, right? Especially yeah. if the person is interested in data. So I yeah. remember I, I have I have it on all my phones except this oh, new wow. one. So I'm gonna get it again. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't so get cool. a phone recently. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I check it. it. It's really interesting. And I know you have a new project you're working on, like an app you wanna uh develop. Yeah, there's uh there's a couple more apps that I've made. There's one for uh there's one for there's a product called the Muse, which is actually also uh, made in Toronto, um, and it's just like a headband that records your uh, your brainwaves. Oh, okay. And uh, so I made a dice rolling algorithm that's based on your brainwaves. Oh. Which uh, sounds like a kind of weird thing. Why would you want that? Well, the reason that you would want that is uh, there's several theories about um, about the brain being a quantum computer. Mm. And uh, if you have a quantum computer and you're using a quantum function to make a dice roll, you can do several ex- several experiments that people are doing in quantum physics. You can do them a lot cheaper if you have an app that has, if the brain actually is a quantum computer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so usually they do things like electron tunneling or... Uh, What's the other? Oh, whether an whether an isotope decays, oh, okay. that kind of a thing. So uh, those are fairly expensive. If the brain actually is a quantum computer, and I think you could figure out whether it is mm. from something like this, whether you can run the same quantum experiment yeah. based on brain waves. Okay. So how's the pro- uh, how's that project going? I've got uh, I've got iteration one out there. Um, my problem often is is that I I take kind of double dips in a lot of the things that I uh, investigate. Mm. So I've got iteration one out there, and uh, I'm not sure whether it's worth making like iterations five to seven. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? It, uh, it's a good question. The uh, Making the first draft of anything is, I think, a lot easier than the polishing, at least for me. Yeah, I know. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah, because um, like talking of drafts, 
when I think of draft, I think of writing. Mm-hmm. That first draft's like, I can write if, you know, in a day, <laughs> right? But then yeah. you read it, I'm like, oh, no, this is, oh, no. <laughs> but cutting it down from good to really, really good is mm. a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's a very different kind of mindset. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, the especially in, uh, like, programming is an interesting medium because it's, in a way, it's just writing. Mm. But it's... Uh, it's kind of a grammatically very unforgiving writing. So one comma will mess everything up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh so the the editing is really kind of it's quite important. Yeah. And uh it's not always obvious um if you've made if you've made a mistake yeah. or if you're just not thinking about the problem in the right way. Mm. So uh, it's, I think, a lot easier to solve the wrong problem <laughs> than, to, than to know you've solved the right problem the wrong way. You know? So talking of programming, what languages do you write in? Uh, these days I'm doing a lot in Python. Huh. Yeah, it's, uh, that's kind of, it's just so user-friendly that uh, with, if you have really ambitious things you're trying to do, mm. Python does a lot of the work for you in any field okay <laughs> so uh for example one of my programs does web scraping and uh the first language that i learned was c and i tried i had this idea for a long time and tried to uh implement it in c for a long time but yeah. uh that just was i i didn't know how to get there mm. and then so what i finally did was uh i actually figured okay well i have the free time now i can i can do this why don't i just hire a tutor for a couple of hours to just give me some pointers of how to approach this problem mm. and he said well you should learn python and you should use the beautiful soup library <laughs> <laughs> so i did those things and uh, now i have an iteration one and that's one where i actually am working on uh, new iterations and oh, seeing wow. okay, okay. yeah yeah great and um so you what was it there's another so the, tell me about the stock app the stock predicting app yeah that's so that's the one that you that uh that i was just talking about oh, the, uh, okay. so it does a web scraping thing the um i mean i found it very interesting how just the stock market is this very high level data font source mm. like if there is um there's this idea of like a, a mass unconscious or like a kind of one one universal mind that we're all sort of affected by, like a zeitgeist kind mm-hmm. of. Um, and if if that's real, then the stock market would be the place where you'd see it because there's very good data being kept on the decisions made there. Every tiny dot. Every, yeah, exactly. And it's very much, uh, a lot of those decisions are based on emotions. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's right. <laughs> Right. Like you can in my quantified horoscope app, for example, Mondays is the only day of the week when the stock market actually declines on average. Mm. Well, that's exactly what you'd expect. People aren't optimistic on Mondays. People are <laughs> bummed out because they're going back to work. They're hungover. They're all yeah. these things, yeah. right? So, uh, so the stock market has a lot of that. It's like a way of quantifying emotions. Mm. If uh, if everyone who invests, which is like a big percentage of the world, mm. is uh, is pessimistic on a given day, you're going to see that in that more people are selling stocks. 
or want to sell stocks. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the thing that I'm doing with the um, with the stock testing app is to look at how that correlates with the words that show up in association with a stock. Mm-hmm. So um, there's this guy who has I I forget what the project is, but he's basically his theory is that he's um, he's crowdsourcing intuition. Oh. So uh, based on yeah, based on changes in linguistics, he uh, he's looking at if if a new word in particular shows up, what does that indicate about what people are intuitively expecting? Mm. So uh, so one of the things, for example, is he can find out like earthquake. If there's if a lot of people are suddenly saying earthquake mm-hmm. in a given area, well, maybe there'll be an earthquake there. Oh, wow. um, and like The Economist, actually, which is like a very respected publication, has an R-word index, which is just a count of how many times the word recession shows up in publications. And they find it a much better predictor of a recession <laughs> than, uh, than really anything else you can use to predict a recession. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that makes sense. Like a lot of us have intuitions of what's going to happen uh, sometime in the future. Mm. So this, uh, what I'm doing there is kind of a similar thing of trying to look at what words are showing up with other words mm-hmm. and then using stock market data, not so much to predict the stock market, but to get a sense of what do these words mean okay. on an emotional level. So how would it work? Uh, so say, for example, um, I'm looking at what words show up with Microsoft mm. and uh, I'm counting how off I'm counting pages where the word Microsoft shows up mm-hmm. and then I'm counting how often the word good shows up on those pages and I'm comparing that to how often the word good shows up on pages that don't contain the word Microsoft. So say that good shows up 1.5 times as, many, as often on a page about Microsoft as it does on just any page mm. and then Microsoft stock goes up the next day. Okay, okay, that's interesting. So then that tells me something about the word good. Mm. And like the I think the first two words I used were actually good, bad. And then So what, what like, did you see when you <laughs> when you type bad? What words were closely related to bad? <laughs> right now I'm mostly working on getting a big enough data set. Oh, okay. Cuz uh yeah, it's it is kind of what you'd expect. Good is kind of a positively correlated. Bad is kind of negatively correlated. Mm. But there's a lot more words where it's kind of a lot harder to tell. Oh. And it's uh, there's enough there's enough noise in a system like that that I think you also really want to uh, to get a very large data set. Yeah. So like, will it be easier to filter? It? Sorry. Filter that noise. Um, it's it's hard to say. I think the um. Because I'm looking at really any word, mm-hmm. um, I think it's it's a bit more difficult because there's a lot more factors that I'm also trying to tease out. Mm. If uh, if the word good shows up a lot, but so does unethical, oh, um, okay, or like <laughs> or growth, but also risk. It's uh, I think there's there's a lot more. Um, a lot more different factors. Mm-hmm. And in some sense, if you're looking at what people are saying about something, yeah. 
in in the entire internet i think that's uh I think that's a really uh it's a big data set to begin with and you don't necessarily know what's noise what looks like noise might just be a signal you haven't discovered yet. Yeah. So that's at first I was using a fairly medium-sized data set mm-hmm. and uh I did find some interesting correlations there but uh enough to really have like a a useful thing where you can take any random word and yeah. go this is what that word means on an emotional level. Yeah. That uh that I think is it's a ways off still and right now I'm I've been focusing yeah iteration 1 was just kind of a small data set crunching it. the numbers yeah. and also teaching myself machine learning but uh but now iteration 2 is more getting a larger data set kind mm-hmm. of automating the automating the aggregation of the data set and some of that cleaning of the data set which is the filtering out the noise. Yeah. Um so here's the thing like I was the whole renaissance thing so you do that but I also know that something that you are kind of looking at now is DNA editing. Yeah. I was watching um this oh god this Marvel shows on every channel now. There's The Runaways, Agents of Shield, mm-hmm. Luke Cage, like they're so every so like mutants yeah. are everywhere. <laughs> even though Marvel doesn't call them mutants, I don't even know remember what they call them but Right, humans. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they have inhumans too. Uh, mm-hmm. And really, what interested me as growing up was like initially was how cool the things they could do. Mm-hmm. But then the whole point about the X Men and all these mutants is that they evolved, right? And yeah, evolving yeah. is pretty much just something changing your DNA. And I'm thinking, hmm. What if I, I was at a, at a, a film thing and this lady was working on... Um, oh, no, 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 no. I, I was reading up on like how we uh, evolved to the state that there are parts of our body we really don't use anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh, wow, okay. So, very, so like in, say, 50, 500 years in the future, human beings would look very different. And a friend mm-hmm. of mine is working on this comic where he thinks of human beings like 50,000 years from now oh, right? wow, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll be like tall and like uh big head because like we're super mm-hmm. smart and we need space for the brain but we also have, be, ha- have to be tall because i don't know he tried to explain it and mm-hmm. you were talking about dna it is and i was like i have to ask you that what do you think i think i read about like a chinese doctor saying he did something like that yeah yeah so if he's telling the truth and uh <laughs> i mean <laughs> easier to say than to do but <laughs> but uh, i personally I, I think it's fairly likely that he he did actually do that and yeah so that would be the first genetically edited humans um so we've been doing this a long time that you have in vitro fertilization and you pick the you pick the the zygote i guess that has the best mix so you avoid those uh genetic diseases mm. that uh, one parent might have the gene for it so you fertilize each other a bunch of times and then pick the ones where you didn't where you didn't get that gene okay but this guy would have actually like injected a virus that uh, cut the dna out at that point and uh removed a certain genetic component which would make these kids uh, immune to hiv and black plague Mm. which is like yeah it's this mutation that's existed and uh yeah so that those would be the first children ever born that were uh that were 
genetically enhanced, so to speak. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> not just uh, not just not just picked from a bunch of options, but actually changed what was there. Mm. So yeah, that's uh, that that's a, a thing now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, certainly, if it if the, if he isn't telling the truth, I mean, it's definitely been done with other mammals. So it's not like uh, it's not like we don't know whether it's possible. Mm. It's more a question of. So uh, where do you stand on it, though? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, my my personal stance, from an ethical standpoint, is I'd rather have a bunch of crazy hackers in their garages doing it than Monsanto. <laughs> so, like, either one is a problem, but I think. <laughs> I think Monsanto is the bigger problem, Why? and like not to not to pick on Monsanto, but uh, well, you can't make ethical choices when you're yeah, thinking of money. When you're well, when you're only thinking of money, um, <laughs> like uh, a corporation is basically a machine, right? It, it's a machine that takes inputs and uh, has an output, namely shareholder value, mm. and. Uh, if ethics tie into that, it's not clear how. Hmm. Um, so, do you think it, it would be it would be sense like it would be sensible to have some uh, government, you know, um, restrictions in some way? Like you could do this. Well. Also, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I also think like it would be a real problem if Canada is at the forefront of genetic engineering, but I think it would be a bigger problem if North Korea was. <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of where I keep coming back to. It's like, do you like when we were when when fire was the big scary invention that no one knew how to control it, and mm. it was this weird thing like we're not supposed to have this power, we're not supposed to have fire that belongs to the gods. Mm-hmm. They, in those days, uh, I think you could make a very good moral case for just not messing with fire. But if the tribe across the valley has fire and you don't, you need it know. doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. right. Eventually, the people on this side of the valley will have fire, whether, that's, uh, whether it's good that they do or not. Mm. If you have that much more capability than everyone else, it it doesn't really matter that it's more moral to not use that capability. Yeah. It might be it might be moral to have that capability and not use it. Mm. That's definitely something. I think there's a that's I think the interesting question about um, well do we do we have the ability to edit our DNA and just choose not to? Ah. That I think is a good question for sure. So, so like you see, I don't know, fifty years from now, this is is science now. It's done. Uh, hmm. You have the option of going to like uh, DNA Inc. Whatever, yeah. And then you say, <laughs> "Oh, I want to be taller," mm-hmm. or my kids that come next to me to be yeah, taller yeah. or something. I think that's. Uh, I think it's a possibility. Certainly, mm. um, I don't think we're there yet of me being taller, mm, um, the, or or even I don't know if tallness is tallness is seems to be epigenetic. Oh, okay. okay. So that's uh, I mean we're definitely taller than our great grandparents. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, that seems to be also a question of how much protein is in our diets and uh, everything like that. And I'm not sure we know or how much we know about how that works. Mm. But it definitely I don't know whether we'll be able to 
just inject a retrovirus and then we'll get a growth spurt. <laughs> suddenly our bones are achy again because we're stretching out. You know, that's so. Uh, um, what do you think? I mean, we kind of know what caused the recession, <laughs> but uh, do you think people saw it coming and just ignored it because everybody was making all this money that didn't really exist? Uh, saw the recession coming? Yeah. Or the you mean the two thousand eight recession? Yeah, yeah. It's a good question. Um, I didn't see it coming. Mm. I think. Uh, I think there's a question of how long term into the future can you make useful predictions. Mm. So, uh, for example, in a in a democracy, there's a lot of upsides to democracy, but one is that it's harder to make to predict past four years or five years in Canada. It's just, it's more difficult to know what the environment will look like past a certain point. And that makes it easier to adjust the environment mm-hmm. as, uh, as other things change. And it's, it's good to be able to alter your environment. It also makes it harder to predict. So the recession, I think, the business environment had just kind of started changing um, a bit faster than it had been. Yeah. We had kind of, uh, we had the personal computer revolution. We just had the... Um, the crash 10 years earlier, the 2001, um, the dot-com bust. And I think uh, people were still kind of integrating that into the 20th century model of how economics worked. Because if you have, uh, if you're investing in a car plant, (laughs) there's a certain amount of ballast, Mm. right? If you have a 10-year investment cycle, once you've built a car factory, the car factory is there. It's going to... uh, it's not going to change that quickly. Mm. But if you're making an online store, that can be there or not there. It's very easy to replace something like that. Yeah. Much easier than replacing a factory. Yeah, indeed. And uh, I think that in the 2000s, that kind of... I think people were just coming to terms with that. Mm. And because of that, I think they were uh, reducing how far out they were making predictions. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, the... Uh, I mean, I I saw the um, what was that movie that had all the stars about uh, the big the big something the big short yeah 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 the big short great uh, great explanation of the whole thing and uh, and also market call mm. about how the risk margin ma- call I think. margin call yeah margin call yeah I think okay, so. yeah. with with uh, uh what's this guy uh my demon's friend okay the, yeah the yeah, last yeah. Batman uh Christian Bale. No, 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 no. The one after. Uh, oh, oh, Brad. No. No. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Yeah, yes. yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in that movie, right? I, I think, yeah, there were a lot, uh, there yeah, were a lot of movies yeah, yeah, made yeah. about the time. Yeah, I know, yeah. And yeah, but it's Do you know, funny enough, the best of all for me, have you seen Wizard of Lies? Wizard of Lies? No. Yeah. No, it's, that sounds it's actually, like a, <laughs> it's, it's, um, sounds like my kind of movie. Is <laughs> De Niro playing that uh, guy, the Wall Street guy that had the biggest camp? Uh, oh, Madoff. Bernie Madoff. It is amazing. De Niro is Bernie Madoff. Oh yes, my God. <laughs> it's very good. It's so, so good. It's wow. really good. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds like a really great, uh, great take on the whole thing. Yeah. The, um, I, I think a lot of that was just the fact that they were, they were focusing on the amount of time they could predict. This is actually, I wanted to tease this. I, once I've got 
I'm writing a book right now in the draft stage, so mm. it'll be a while. Mm. But once that launches, I'd love to come back on. Yeah, yeah it'll the, be nice to have you on, definitely. Yeah, and then the next one after that would kind of relate to that, the mm. uh, how far out we can predict and the snapshots we take. Ah. Of, so uh, what do you think is a reasonable time, like tomorrow or 10 days? <laughs> well, I, I think that... Uh, I think it depends on the granularity, like the resolution you want to make predictions in. Yeah. How uh, how large is the trend? Like I know in I know in a billion years the sun will have exploded and the earth won't be there anymore. Like oh, that's. No. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's. Do you not... <laughs> ever think we'll be able to increase? I mean, I know we keep increasing how long we live for. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll ever go say two hundred years? I hope so. Oh my god! You know, <laughs> I, I I don't think I'm afraid of dying. I just I just think I want to do as much as I want to do before I die. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like when I'm when I'm like twice my current age, mm-hmm. I might think like, okay, I've accomplished what I want to accomplish, or mm-hmm. I've accomplished enough of what I want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly not there now. If I die tomorrow. It, it would kind of suck all the things that I wanted to still do. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. And uh, I don't know if I would ever... I guess your mindset changes also. I might at some point reach a point where I think, you know what, I've, I, I have enough. I'm ready to, ready to pass the torch now. Mm. Um, at this point in my life, I can't ever imagine having that mindset, though. So and, many uh, things to invest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, right? <laughs> um, tell me about Aikido. Uh, what, Aikido, was, when, yeah. How did that? How did that happen? Because you know, I, I, I mean, I know you always like trying things. So, yeah, was yeah. that how that started? Or well, I've been into martial arts since I was quite young. Oh, okay. And Aikido was always. Uh, I, I was quite a, quite a Japanophile when I was younger. And Aikido is kind of this. It's this very yoga kind of personal development martial art that mm. has come out of Japan. So uh, it wasn't available when I was growing up, but I always kind of kept an eye out for it. And mm-hmm. I've gone to now, currently at my fourth Aikido school, I guess. And uh, I'd Why say, did you change so many schools? Oh, just moving around. Oh, okay, and and okay. also uh, half of them I tried for about a month and said, you know what, I'm not learning anything here. How uh, do you decide you're learning something or not? That's a good question. Um, it's definitely... It's something you feel like in the uh, in the other martial arts school where I was uh, where I was going, uh, I was taking Aikido and I was also taking mixed martial arts mm-hmm. kind of at the same time. And there it was very easy to tell because in mixed martial arts, we had kind of an open mat where we would just roll with each other and try new things and not practice specific moves, but mm-hmm. just kind of see where we're at compared to everyone else. Yeah. And there I definitely did notice like, oh, I'm using Aikido principles here. I'm not. Uh, I'm not resisting this person, so I'm not getting tired the way they are. <laughs> and uh, just that ability to uh, to apply the Aikido in in like a setting that isn't like an Aikido class, applying it outside of the environment where it's made to succeed. Yeah. That um, that was very useful feedback. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at the place where I'm at now downtown, that's very. Uh, that's there. I would say I notice it by how I feel internally. Mm. Um, like for example, there's uh, a thing that I've just I found incredible is uh, the teacher there has a way of talking about reaching through joints, and uh, like 
When I started reaching through my spine, okay, I actually wait. so yeah, go back. Was reaching through joints? Well, it, it's hard to disc- It's hard to understand, right? Okay. But like, if I put the if I put the coffee cup kind of just out of reach, and then I I kind of stay there, but I reach oh, for okay, it. Okay, okay. I'm kind of I'm stretching, but I'm also it's not like I'm stretching while pulling. I'm stretching while pushing, and that like if you do that, for example, with your spine, like I had uh, I had some problems with my spine from mixed martial arts getting into neck cranks a lot uh just reaching through that um has really like helped align everything in a way that uh that i wasn't able to do with just regular physio Mm -hmm. so things like that where you come out of a class and you're like oh i see the world a little bit differently now Mm. that uh that really for me was what uh is what i use so how, how often do you practice uh, this class is once a week. Okay. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was actually thinking when you're talking about the stock predating app, um, is the wheat thing just a phase? Is it going to go? Like, the wheat stocks? Yeah. It's a good question. Um, it's a large industry. I, I think that with most stocks, what you have when there's a new market is you have a lot of new people trying to get into it Mm. and then you have some consolidation like uh, amazon for example right now is in its consolidation phase when amazon was competing against pets.com that was like the lots of new offerings and uh, i think that's i think right now in the weed stocks we're at that lots of new offerings phase Mm. There's a there's an Amazon of wheat stocks and there's a pets.com of wheat stocks and like if you look at Amazon or pets.com they were both selling a specialized thing o- online it was uh it was a useful thing and one just happened to win and yeah. I think with the wheat stocks it's the same thing there's a lots of so like what uh, what would be your way of uh approaching this because there's like so many mm-hmm. of those companies how do you even decide and it's not just the price of the stock right it's just there's gotta be more well the the big metric i look at is actually uh, price to earnings ratio okay and that's not a perfect metric i uh i would have gotten into tesla a lot earlier <laughs> if uh <laughs> if i hadn't really weighted that metric so highly <laughs> but uh <laughs> But there's definitely price to earnings is basically, say a stock, if you wanted to buy the company, if you wanted to buy all the stock, mm. it might cost, say, a billion dollars. Well, if the if the same stock, if the same company is making a hundred million dollars every year, then the price to earnings ratio is 10 to 1, mm. right? And that's a very simple thing. Like if a, if a company is put, bringing in a lot of money relative to what it would cost to buy that company, mm. that's a pretty good buy, at least right now. And then you get more complicated things about, well, why isn't it bringing in more money? Yeah, like the Tesla one, I don't get it. I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. Yeah, well, Tesla was a a kind of weird case because if you look at its price to earnings, it looks like it's not profitable. But the thing is, it actually, it brings in, it, it has profitable markets. It just spends more than it brings in. Mm. And that's the thing. Like, what's it spending that money on? If a company is spending more than it's bringing in, is it spending that on uh, just trying to stem the flow? Is it just spending that on uh, non-profitable things? Or like in Tesla's case, it was building a lot of factories with that more money than it was bringing in. Mm. And that's... Uh, and sending cars to space. 
Yeah, well, that was uh, that was SpaceX. <laughs> I know, but, but it put a Tesla in, in space, though. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, talking about that, what what's your what do you think of Elon Musk? Elon Musk. Mm. Uh, I think he's like a true hero, and I when I what I mean when I say that is uh, we think of heroes as people who are better than normal people. But uh, I think actually, if you look at like the Greek heroes, they were better and worse than regular people. So like Heracles, for example, he did all these heroic things. He also murdered his own family. Yeah. That's, uh, that, I, I think, is what, uh, is what we should be thinking of when we think about what a hero is. It's someone who, who embodies the best and the worst of humanity yeah. and both to a more extreme degree than a normal person. And I think Elon Musk is that. I think he's a lot better and a lot worse mm. than a normal person. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the way that he's changed the technological field, I think there will probably be some kind of like mythology around Elon Musk. Like if you... If you look at like a thousand years ago, there probably was a historical King Arthur mm. or at least a, a warlord Arthur. <laughs> kind of did amazing things and now we have him like an amazing story. Yeah, yeah. And what exactly did he do? Well, we don't know the history mm. so much. We know, we know kind of how the myth grew up around him. Mm. And I suspect Elon Musk in a thousand years, I suspect there may be myths about Elon Musk. Yeah. And... Uh, what those myths are like, obviously, I can't know. Mm. But I think he has kind of, as we're see, what we're seeing right now is kind of how there's a historical character who's also got his own mythology, yeah. and it's very weird to see that how there's there's clearly an actual story of this person who is a, who's a re, as real as you or I, yeah. and then there's kind of a a persona and a story which. And we interact kind of more with the story than the real person, mm. even though he probably interacts more with regular people than most people of his level of uh, notoriety. Mm. Right? Um, so do you really think we'll leave our mass? Uh, I hope so. Um, I don't know what the odds are of it right now. But, uh, I think it would be good if we did. I like organic life. I'd like it to be in more places. And uh, I think if we leave the planet, then either we're going to meet other organic life or it won't be there yet and we'll bring it there. So I think that would be good. Um, I think there's a lot of unknown unknowns about something like living on Mars. Mm. And uh, I don't know what it would take. You know, I don't know how difficult the radiation would be to deal with. Um, I don't know how expensive it would be to bring the minimum amount to start a sustainable colony. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I, I think it's a noble goal. So say, do you think 20,000 years from now, mm-hmm. we've developed um, rockets that can go amazing speeds mm-hmm. and then we can go to Mars every three days or something. Mm-hmm. Do you think we have a colony there? Do you think we'll still do what we did here? Well, uh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think that uh, <laughs> it's an interesting question because uh, 
there's there's some people who don't believe in the idea of progress. Mm. And uh, I was kind of, there's actually a blog I follow called uh, Ecosophia, which is kind of, it's by a, a conservative archdruid and environmentalist. Wait, what? How does that even... <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, very interesting author. Mm. Um, very, like, into the whole peak oil scene mm. and... Uh, and just the idea of, I mean, he, he's a polytheist and he believes that progress is a god which most of us worship in mm. today's society. And, uh, like, I would certainly, I mean, I'm an engineer. Like, if there's a church of progress, I'm like a minor member of the clergy in that church. Mm. And, uh, I think, like, where we, where I kind of differ in his idea is that he would see progress as kind of, what we do in getting better at what we already want to do. Mm. And uh, when we change what we want to do, that would be like, that isn't progress, oh. to, the way he defines it. And I would say, like, yeah, in 20,000 years, if we, uh, if we are able to fly to Mars in three days, mm. <laughs> we're definitely better at doing what we want to do today. I would hope we're also better at choosing what we want to do. That, uh, I'm definitely going to have you back here. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you do the creatives, you're an engineer, you're working on your patents, you're doing all these things. Mm. How do you fit all that into your life? Because you're one person, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I, I, don't, I don't always take that second dive mm. into things, which, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I wish I had the time. And the, the energy, I guess, to once I've kind of skimmed the surface of something to go, to go back and take a deep dive into everything. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I don't think I'm a Renaissance man. Maybe I'm a polymath. If I were a Renaissance man, I feel like I'd have also the energy to take a deep dive <laughs> into all those things. I mean, if I had a, you know, a wealthy patron or something that, uh, that I didn't... Like, oh, don't walk, just do this. <laughs> just do this. Yeah, then maybe, <laughs> maybe. But uh, yeah, definitely, I think a lot of it is just kind of dipping my toes in a lot of fields and then taking that second dive where something really... Where something really has pull, also, because yeah. it's it's easy to uh, it's easy to do the first draft, like you said, and then uh, I also when I once I've done that first kind of iteration of a lot of things, mm. that uh, that deciding then okay here's where I want to do the second iteration here's where I want to kind of go a bit deeper into the same field, that I think is uh, that's been my strategy. Okay. Anyway, with that. So I'm going to end it with this one. What do you think would make our world better? Hmm. I've actually been, uh, I've been thinking about that because uh, I think there's kind of two separate strains which can sort of tie in. Um, and, and this is like a very high level idea, but I think it's, uh, it's worth thinking about it in these terms. I haven't really put this into words before, so this might come out awkward, but uh, there are people who live on one-third of their income. And uh, the, the kind of the, the justification is if you live on one-third of your income, you can retire in 10 years. Oh. 
because you'll only you won't need as much money. You'll keep living on one thir- on the same amount of money after you retire. And you're if you're saving two thirds and you invest it well, you can uh, you can be self sustainable at that point. Well, the thing is, if everyone did that, we would need to cut out about two thirds of our economic activity. So we would need. I don't know if you've seen Infinity War, but do you know? Uh, did you see? I I th- I may have. Is that anyway? The... So Thanos just his whole thing is the world would be better if half of the people were dead. De- huh? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think most people agree with that if they got to choose which half. <laughs> but yeah, go but on with yeah, yeah. Thanos. Uh, I guess Thanos knows which half. That's, uh, <laughs> that's what makes him Thanos, right? But uh, yeah, well. The thing is, if if I only spent a third of the money I bring in, mm. then like the the shopkeeper and the uh, the travel agent and all the all the people who rely on my spending to keep their jobs, uh, two thirds of them would have to find a new job. Yeah. And uh, the way we do our economics right now, that wouldn't work. I, I think we would all like to live on a third of our income, live a bit more simply. And be uh, and not have to work as much mm-hmm. as we do now, and be able to, you know, to take that second dive into everything. Yeah, <laughs> right? If yeah, I yeah. if I had to work a third as much as I do now, mm-hmm. that would be cool. Um, I think our incentives around economics aren't built for that, though. I think right now we still kind of are at a place where we need everyone to be spending all their money instead of a third of their money. In order to uh, in order to keep the momentum going and to keep the system functioning properly, mm-hmm. so I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the better way there would be. Um, I'm a big fan of universal basic income, but it's uh, that would be something you'd have to try. But I think uh, I think there's another. I think the fact that right now people can live on one third of their income. Mm-hmm. I think that means also we could cut out two-thirds of economic activity. And I think we could arrange things so that that same one-third corresponds to the same one-third of economic production that would still need to be around. I think we could downshift in a pretty big way if uh, if we aligned the algorithms in the right way. And I don't know how to do that, but I think that would make the world better if we, uh, if we found a way to to align that. And this is the economics thing you talked about, right? Yeah, yeah, I was I was saying I think it is a it's a question of economics and I think private investors could move towards that if we figured out how. <laughs> okay, um like thanks for coming in today. Thank you so much I for appreciate having me. it. And I'm definitely going to have you back. I I I look forward to it. <laughs> thanks, Chris. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is the Blackout Podcast. Thanks for listening.